But uh, today would normally be the first day of conference. You know, 2020 has been a crazy year. We've got a pandemic going on. We've got rioting in the streets. We've got cities on fire, uh, defunding the police. And there are things that need to be changed, but come on. But it's been a crazy year, has it not? So somebody sent me a meme, you know, those funny things and the other day, and and I love those things. Uh, this one was just somebody driving down the highway. You can tell they're looking through a windshield, and there's the top of the steering wheel, and trees on the right, highway in the front, mountains off in the distance. Well, everything looks good, except for one thing. There's a Holstein cow f- flying in the air right there, you know. And the caption is, normally I would ask questions, but this is 2020. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? That's about where we are. Uh, I didn't bring this. Uh, he's not letting me do a lot of preparation. I mean, I, what's your preparation? Pray like my lips are going to roll off on the floor. And, and worship now, really a lot of worship. I've, I've probably cried more this last couple of weeks and I have in a long time and that's a very good thing it's a very good thing um, hang on I'm sorry see I didn't know this was going to happen right I brought the prophecy with me on July 26 though I know it was July 26 a prophecy he came through me this time and I uh, just remember the word shofar was in it. He said, it started off, says, can you hear the sound of my shofar? And it was a very encouraging word. I don't have it with me to read it, but it was prepare. Be sure. It says endure. Yes, endure this time of training. And he, he didn't use the word boot camp, but he was referring to the prophecies, the blueprint for 2020 that he's got us all in with all of this prayer and, and fasting and he says, soon, soon you're going to hear the sound of my shofar and you'll receive your instructions. Now, that was on July 26. Two months later, to the day, September 26, the sound of the shofar was heard in Washington, D.C. If you haven't watched the return, if you can watch it without crying, you're stronger than me. I can't. I even it's even in parts I shouldn't be crying, and I'm crying. There's an anointing, and it, well, the reason why God is doing something. He's doing Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I did pull that up so I wouldn't misquote it. Now hang on. I knew I was going to read this if I can ever get my phone to obey me. Hallelujah. See, that Saturday, what they called the return, was a national and really global day of what they mean by the return, repentance. It's really, I don't know how many times different preachers that day quoted Second Chronicles 7 to 14. And because that's the heart of it, and that's, what's, that's, what's, that's really what's going on in our nation. And they, I was so encouraged because I know during that day you had... Different people on the platform that were Episcopal, Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, Pentecostal. I'm, I, but 
and if we got together and, and you know, we'd probably nitpick each other together on doctrine, and doctrine's important, don't get me wrong. But see, this, there was a, a unity. God save America. God save her land. I've been, uh, this week I reread the Mayfire, Mayflower Compact that those pilgrims come on that ship. It had to be a, if you've ever, Sue and I got to go to Plymouth Rock quite a few years ago and they've got a, 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 re, a full scale replica of the Mayflower and you think it's big. It's tiny. I couldn't believe that many people sailed in that thing for that many days to get here and they had storms. It had to be the most scary thing and the most of them were down in the hold of that ship and it's, you can't even stand up. I, I, I'm short and I can't stand up in it. I have to bend over just to walk in there. And you read that Mayflower Flower Compact. The very first thing, we are making this journey and establishing this land for the glory of God that your gospel may go forth to the nations. God save America. If you read when the settlers first landed, the first ones that ever landed at Jamestown, the first thing they did was erect a cross. Dedicate this land to the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that the nations could be saved. I don't know if you know this, but Yale, Harvard, Princeton, all of the major universities were founded by Christians for the purpose of expanding the gospel around the world. Now, they weren't just to teach religion, I mean Christianity, but all of the disciplines. But the idea was everything would be used for the glory of God. And see, this week he's had me reading back in the Old Testament again, and I'll tell you exactly what got, why, where we'll get out this time. I kept hearing the name Molech. And I know who, I know that's a God of the Old Testament that the Canaanites worshiped and the Amorites and others. And I knew, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've got images of it at home that I, again, I didn't know how the service was going to go. I, sh- I should have brought one. But, uh, through the accounts of the people that lived at that time, this God of Molech, and boy, if you want to read about that in Leviticus, God, he, he warns them, don't you, don't you sacrifice, and he called them my children, on the altar of Molech. Do not shed the innocent blood. And Molech was a God where the people would offer their children. It was a big bronze, a metal thing of some kind, and it had its, it looks like a bull's head kind of. And it's there, it's pretty big, real big, like real big. And it's got its arms out like this. And in the back, it's kind of hollow, and, and in the back of it, you can build a furnace and get that thing where it's almost glowing cherry red. Not just the Canaanites. Not just the Amorites. Israel offered their children. When you laid your child in those glowing red hot arms, of course they would just, the cry, the, can you imagine those baby cries? Can you imagine? God warned them, don't you do it. Don't you shed innocent blood. And at first, of course, they drove all that out. You know, they were supposed to drive them all out, but they never did. 
Joshua warned them, any of them that you leave are going to be thorns and pricks and going to give you trouble. Sure enough, they did. Because they drove them out at first, but there was enough left that over time, yes, sir. And that's why he had me reading again. See, the last really great king was David. David was the last really great king. And David had flaws. We all know that, right? Well, you ought to read what God says about David, though. He says, David served me with a whole heart. And it says more than once, only accepting in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You know, David had him killed. Had him murdered. But other than, and God forgave him, see. So along comes Solomon. And Solomon did really well at first. I mean, if you read the dedication of the temple, and he didn't even ask for money. He said, I just want wisdom to be able to govern your people and do it righteously. And God honored that. He says, I'm going to give you not only what you asked for, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. And how many of you know Solomon was the first trillionaire? I don't think there's been another trillionaire in modern, you know. We've got one person now that they said maybe it may be the first one. Solomon did pretty good for most of his life. He really did. But then as he, as his wealth and, you know, it's, it's one thing to be faithful to God for a year, maybe five years, maybe ten years, but can you be faithful for forty years? Because what began to happen, even though God plainly had a law that you don't intermarry with the pagans. And I probably have my numbers wrong here, but I think, didn't he have three hundred wives and seven hundred concubines or might have been flipped around the other way. A thousand women had to be one energetic man, is all I can say. Enough said. But see what happened, those concubines were not most of them were not Israelites. They were from the foreign lands. And it plainly says that those wives slowly turned his heart. I hadn't read it in a long time. See, David, God was real proud of David. David made a prompt, God made a promise to David that, which really is fulfilled in Jesus. You'll always have an heir on your throne. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate. But Solomon comes along and Solomon slowly, see, yes, sir. See, I, and I'm going slowly on purpose because I don't want to. I don't want to teach what I know. Teach what I hear, because you got to be careful. See, what's that a type and a shadow of? James says, "You adulterers and adulteresses, talking to the church, know you not that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God." The fulfillment of the type and shadow of that, Solomon, who started off really right, God was so pleased. But because little, he wasn't just, he built chariots and things that got other things. There's a lot of things that he, little by little, he turned from the commands of God. And I'm reading this, and I first heard Bronk say this, and so I want to give him credit this time only, Bronk. And it was a few months ago, I think, when I heard Bronk, because I'd missed it somehow. And I went back and checked. Cause I heard Bronk say it first, though. He says, so you see Solomon turning a more, little more away, a little more away, a little more away. 
And Bronk said it like this, oh no, oh no, Solomon. No, you didn't. No, you, you didn't do that. Solomon built a high place to Molech. And he did it on the hill facing the temple. Right, you could say right in the face of God. This nation started off, God was very pleased with the Mayflower Compact. I believe he was very pleased with Jamestown. I think he was very pleased with Yale and Harvard and Princeton that were set up to educate people for the good of the gospel and the Christian faith and spread the name of Jesus around the world. But then, just in my lifetime, prayer left schools. In my lifetime, the Bible. Can't, couldn't study the Bible anymore in the schools. They took down the Ten Commandments and most of them. Then came Roe versus Wade, which is our version of Molech. See, why did they do that? See, you go back and you say, why would they, why would anybody offer their own child? I, 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 I try comprehend. I got my daughter and she is right there. I can't, uh, what would possess a person? I don't think that's too far off. What would cause a person to offer their own child to take your baby and l- put it in the glowing arms of Molech and hear the f- scream and the rattle of death? <laughs> you study why they did it, why even the pagans did it. They wanted their lives to be blessed. They wanted rain for their crops. They wanted a good harvest. They wanted prosperity. We'll offer our children as a sacrifice because we want our best life now. See, and I know that there should be exceptions. I'm, I'm sure there should be probably for rape and incest and that kind of thing. But the, all the statistics I've ever read, out of the 60-plus now million babies that have been aborted in this country, could I say offered to Molech? Out of the 60 million, 3 to 4%, maybe, and that might be generous, is because of health... Health to the mother. There sometimes there is a danger to the mother. Rape. Even then, though, you're murdering a baby. Wasn't the baby's fault. Anyway. So what? What about the other ninety-five, ninety-six percent? Oh, I don't. I want to be able to have my fun. But I still want to have my best life now, and I don't want to be encumbered by the responsibilities. And the economic expense of raising this child. It's no different. It's offering our babies innocent blood. It does, innocent blood doesn't get any more innocent than the unborn child. You, you talk about unalienable rights. The first one is life. The right to life. 
So it's just in my lifetime. Prayer taken out of schools, Bible taken out of schools, Ten Commandments off the walls, abortion legalized, then recently. No matter that Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female, created he them. That's the nuclear family that God intended, a mama and a daddy and children. But we build a temple right in the face of God and said, we don't like your definition. I'm talking about the nation. We don't like that definition. We're going to redefine marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Now, I'm intermingling all of that, starting off with Solomon, because that was really the start of the decline of the nation of Israel, really. David was a good king. It's, I should have looked it up how many times God says about David, who served me with his whole heart, except for the matter of Uriah. He does. But other than that, he says, David served me with his whole heart, but Solomon did not. Did you know? After Solomon did what he did, God said to Solomon, If it was not for the promise that I made to your father, I would take the kingdom away from you. But I promised your father, David, that there would always be a king on the throne. So I'm taking, I'm not going to take it away from you, Solomon, but I'm going to take it away from your son. And what happened, the ten nations became Israel. One nation, Judah, became, that was what was left. And that's what Solomon's son had for a while. You look at the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, and he was having me read the history, and it so reminded me of the United States. There was not one single good king from Solomon on in the north. Not one. Not in the north. And in the south, Judah, where Solomon... I think his name, I, I shouldn't guess. Anyway, Solomon's son. Every now and then, that's where you'll find a good one. Asa was a good one. Every now and then, they, they would have one, but then would be followed by a bad one. Well, the northern kingdom went into exile first, but then eventually Judah also. And it so reminds me of this nation and what I've watched. Yes, sir. See, reminder. It's okay if he shows me. This is the other thing that I had prepared in case. Just in the past few weeks, I'm going to read you two things. I can read it without my glasses, so I'm going to. Just within the past few weeks, California passed Senate Bill 145. I'm quoting direct, directly so I don't misquote. That gives judges a say on whether to list someone as a sex offender. Uh, we've got children. For having, uh, I'm just going to say oral, with a minor. There's a little more, but you can. In other words... Now in California, that it, it's legal because it says it passed. It's legal for a 24-year-old man 
to have relations with a 14-year-old child. Even if it involves sodomy. That is no less, that's no less than releasing, legalizing the crime of pedophilia. Right after that, Virginia passed a law that would fine Christian schools $100,000 per occurrence if they oppose any LGBTQ teachings or refuse to pay for sex change operations through taxes. Lord, help us. So, I never did read the verse. Second Chronicles 7.14, and this is what the return was all about. Nationally. And again, I was so thankful to see all these different... They're just Christians. They love God and they love this country. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. You remember what he told me at the first of the year? And he's talking to me now, but it's the whole church because it's, I didn't even realize it. It starts off with humble. He told me, humble yourself, talking to me, humble yourself. Said it three times. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. And Gary, it didn't use the word Gary, but he's talking to me. (laughs) Then after you've humbled yourself until you can't humble yourself anymore, then humble yourself some more. (laughs) So that prophecy came on July 26th. It didn't dawn on me right at first, but then he... September 26, two months later. Because he said, you'll soon hear the sound of my shofar. You'll be receiving your instructions for war. See, right now we're in boot camp. You don't get your instructions for war till you're out of boot camp. People, we've only got October, November, and December. Now, he has given us a year to get ready. I'm telling you right now, revival is coming, ready or not. God heard that prayer. The sound of the shofar and his word was declared for 12 hours. At the same time, Franklin Graham did a prayer march at the same time. Seven different stations, I believe, they stopped at like the Jefferson Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial and George Washington and offered up prayers by Franklin and other people. A same kind of thing. Return. Let's return to God. Did I ever finish reading a verse? <laughs> if, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. What's our mandate this year? Pray like you've never prayed before. Give me this year, he said. And it's not just prayer, but it really emphasizes praying in tongues. Because there is no school where we can go to learn the things that we have to learn. We have to get it from the Holy Ghost. Nobody else knows it or we'd go learn it from them. But there isn't anywhere I can take Tommy Perez today on earth and know I'll bring him back healed. There's nowhere I can take Victoria who's got a partial brain 
nowhere I can take her and know for sure she'll receive her full brain. But I promise you, if I could place her in the hands of Jesus, I'd bring her back with a full brain, and I think she'd know how to speak English perfectly at that very moment. <laughs> I believe she'd come back with a brain engine and an education and stand right here and give her testimony. And that may happen next year. I'm telling you, I'm, I've, I've got hope in me. I hope this message isn't... I've got hope in me like I haven't had in a long time. I'm changed after Saturday. I'm not ever going to be the same. I can already tell it. And it's not... And it's because of God, not of man. God heard those prayers. I'm telling you, the sound of the shofar. He told us ahead of time, two months ahead of time, that it was coming. And... All that day, again and again and again, the blast of the shofar. If you don't know what a shofar is, that's God's trumpet. It's a ram's horn that they would use. When they bring the Ark of the Covenant and into battle, and it's arrayed, and Israel is arrayed against the enemy, when they sounded that shofar, don't you think terror didn't fill the heart of the enemy? Because God's presence had come. God's presence is coming to this nation. It's coming, I'm telling you. Because here's the promise. God hasn't changed. If my people, not the world, don't worry about the world right now. We're going to go get them saved. This is to God's people. This is to the church. Yes, because the other thing they repented of that I left out and I didn't mean to, but the other thing besides what I mentioned about prayer and the Bible and Ten Commandments and Roe versus Wade, and I, I know they didn't get together ahead of time and pre-prepare the, what they were going to say. Minister after minister, God forgive the church for focusing on church growth rather than maturity. For focusing on growing our ministries rather than bringing your presence to a lost world. Over and over again, over and over. The fire of God is coming, I'm telling you. The fire of God is coming. If... No matter what level you've been praying, and I only know the ones that come. You know, maybe you're doing it at home. I hope to God you are. I'm trying to do it here and home. But revival is coming. Better get in boot camp if you're not already. Only got three months. I, I will get to finish reading this verse. <laughs> if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Now listen. Oh, I'll finish the verse. And heal their land. God forgives us for taking prayer out of the schools. God forgives us for taking the Bible out of schools. That's what this means. Twelve hours we confessed our sins. He's forgiving. Forgiving the nation for the abortion. Forgiving the church for focusing on church growth rather than on Him. And for same-sex marriage legalization. And the other things that I read a while ago. He says, I will forgive. Did you see that? 
I will forgive their sin. He's talking about the whole nation. And I will heal their land. Now what does that mean? Revival is coming. Church. Listen. I say it again and again. When the blind see. The lame walk. The deaf hear. When you can bring your little crippled child. And know for sure. That Jesus will be here when we pray. And. When that words, when that child gets healed and the ones that know it find out, what about my child? What about my child? What about my blind mother? What about, you're not going to have to worry about your church growth. Your problem is going to be where in the world do we put them on? Then when the devils start coming out, drug addicts, crack addicts, alcoholics, just instantly set free. Church growth is not a... Jesus had no problem getting his attendance at his meetings. His problem was trying to find a, just a little place where he could have lunch with his disciples. He said they were crowded around the door. They couldn't even eat. Well, that's the way it's going to be, see. But that's what's going to save this world. Because they've got a vision now. I heard him say it many times. For a billion soul harvest. That's a good one. Let's just go with that one. How about a billion so harvest? We were born for such a time as this. I thank God to be alive right now. I ain't going nowhere. I'm 73 years young. I'm getting younger all the time too. Because I, I want to I wanna, I wanna ride this horse till Jesus comes. So I want to be on this thing. Amen. Amen. Come away with me, my beloved. I hear it again. I'm hearing it in Bronx voice. I've heard those prophecies so many times. I, I stopped counting at 60. I don't know how many I've heard them now. Come away with me, my beloved. See, it's not just a matter of prayer. And he's been bringing me into intimacy. I've tried to be real transparent. I've always been real good on the word and prayer. I've done pretty good this last couple of years on fasting. Done a lot better. And I'm doing better now on worship. And I'm telling you, it's changing me. Yes, sir. Do you know Jesus knows what he's talking about? Pray. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Do good to them. Well, you know, the nation is very divided. God is really not a Democrat or Republican. But God is very pro-life. Telling you right now. Come away with me. Because the call really is to intimacy. Knowledge is not enough. You remember Dave teaching us about nerd boy? Knowledge. I can't do it like Dave. Nobody can do it like Dave. Knowledge. It's all he, he was, well, that's kind of Gary. All he, revelation, knowledge. I'm going to go pray. Knowledge. I want to read the Bible. Knowledge. Give me knowledge. But see, knowledge about Sue is not enough. Trust me, I want to be in Sue's presence. Yeah. And so that's what Dave would say about nerd boy. He was fine until one day nerd girl come through. What was it, like a poodle skirt? 
two, two white socks, but one sock had a pink rim around the top and the other one didn't. She had a pencil pack leaking just like nerd boy had a pencil pack leaking. And she's got a green drink, bedhead, walking down the hall right past his cubicle. And she's going, knowledge, <laughs> knowledge. And he's knowledge. But he happens to see her go by. Remember how Dave would do it? Put his head out of the cubicle and look down the hallway to see where she's going. And then it happened. This is day. And then it happened. <laughs> Cupid, draw back your bow. Nobody can do it like Dave. Just trying to put you in remembrance. Great, great teaching. He says, now from that day on, see, knowledge was not enough. He had to be in the presence of his love. Revival is going to require his presence. And it's not that he's not everywhere, but do you know there's a difference? See, in those prophecies, he says, my presence is going to come so strong. Nobody will hardly be able to even leave the building. You'll, you'll have a hard time ministering. And that we got type and shadow of that from the Old Testament. You know, that's not an accident that there was 120 trumpeters. Does that remind you of a number in the New Testament? There's 120 trumpeters and the glory so filled the house that the ministers could not stand. New Testament, 120 in the upper room when a rushing mighty wind filled the house. And there was the sound of the trumpet of tongues, if you'll allow me. Tongues, and they were staggering around like drunk men. They thought these people were drunk. These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour, ninth hour, whatever it is, of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning, I know that. Third hour, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes, nine hour in the day. No, this is that. This is the other verse that they kept quoting out of Joel all day long. It shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Same thing we've been preaching here. This revival is not going to be just big. Now, there'll be big names involved, I'm sure, but it's not just the big names like it was before, like we can all rattle off. And I thank God for every one of them. Even even Dave. Thank God for Dave and Smith Wigglesworth and the Catherine Kuhlmans, on and on and on we could go. No, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You're going to be casting out devils at Walmart. You're going to be laying hands on the sick at the school. You're going to be... Wherever you work, you're going to be getting people filled with the Holy Ghost. Yourself. You doing it. Because you have such an, I didn't mean, you have such an intimate relationship with Him that where you go, He goes. Be like Smith getting on the train. Didn't say a word, just got on the train, sat down. The presence of God emanating, just like the presence. Or this other fellow gets on his knees, but says, you convict me of my sin. Didn't say nothing. You convict me of my sin. What must I do to be saved, Phil? The presence is going to so fill the temple. If you didn't hear last Sunday night, you need to hear it. It was about the 
the river of life and how it flows out of the temple. And we went back into Ezekiel and looked at it again. I don't think he wants me to preach it again. But listen, you're the temple. And Jesus said, those that believe on me, out of their belly, that means you're not your tummy, out of the, your core, out of your spirit, out of you, will flow rivers of living water. It's way beyond the spring, the well of... You're saved because of the well of salvation. That's what brought you to the water in the first place. And your cup can overflow, all right, but no. Rivers of living water. Well, out of you, out of, say it, out of me. Out of my inner person. From my core shall flow rivers of living water. And that passage in Ezekiel says everywhere, it draws a, a picture of the water flowing out of the eastern gate underneath, coming out of the temple. And it says everywhere, everything that that river touched lived. Everywhere you go, rivers of living water. But what if there's a big if? See, it starts off with, let me read it, I want to make sure. Don't want to misquote it. First word in Second Chronicles 7.14 is, if. Well, for the prayer center and all of those associated with the prayer center, he gave us a big if. And that's those ten prophecies, and really there's been more now, but the ten, that's just, if, you do, if we do the ten, you're going to be okay. But he told us exactly. I've never seen the Lord give us such precise instructions that even you just can't misunderstand what he's saying. Give me this year. Give me more time in prayer than you've ever given before. Spend those times in worship he talks about. He mentions fastings more than once. It's a, it's a intimacy. See, I don't think that the kind of presence, apparently, that he's talking about does not come from knowledge. It comes from intimacy. It comes from real fellowship. Really? Today? See, anymore I used to be able to leave the bread in the oven till it was done. He hasn't been letting me do that. So apparently this is done enough. You want a half-baked biscuit, do you? <laughs> yep, biscuits are good. So this week he gave me the parable of the orange. Now I have been to Florida. In fact, I've been to... Bakersfield, I've been through all these places where they grow oranges, you know. The first ever orange I ever had picked off a tree, I stole it in Bakersfield. First time I ever drove a truck through there, and it wasn't completely dark. It was getting twilight. Nobody was around. I'm driving this truck. had a big wide shoulder on the road right there. And there's orange groves and no fence. I had never had an orange picked off a tree. There they are. Gary, you did not. I did. (laughs) 
look both ways, run over there, got me an orange, <laughs> got back in the truck. <clears throat> oh, I still remember that orange. I'd never had one freshly picked off a tree before. I mean, you bite into that thing. I'm peeling it, trying to drive, you know, peeling it. Take a big bite of that. I mean, the juice just runs out both sides of your mouth. Sweet. You, They had to inject it with sugar, you think, because it's so sweet, you know. Never had an orange like that in my life. So I still remember that orange. What a really great orange is like. And I've been to the orange groves in Immokalee. Immokalee, Florida, is surrounded by orange groves. I mean, you've got to drive 30 miles through the orange groves to get there. And uh, so I've seen them, lots of them, you know. So this week, I've got this typed. There was just, I saw an orange, probably just one, you know, perfectly good orange, like the one I stole. I mean, uh, no, I stole it. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. Forgive me, Father. I've already asked forgiveness for that. But there was an orange, a parable of the orange tree. Good orange. This orange was magnificent, like the one that I tasted. Magnificent, can I say, in all of its orangeness. <laughs> it was ripe. It was ready, ready to be plucked, ready to be eaten. But all of a sudden, and it's on the tree, you know, and of course it's, the trees are full of all these other oranges. But all of a sudden, this orange now, parable of the orange. All of a sudden, he has a vision. And an orange appeared to him in this vision. Who are you? I am the first orange. I'm from the tree that God planted in Eden. I'm the first orange that God ever made. First or- I'm from the first orange tree that God ever made. God planted that one orange tree. And his plan was to cover the earth with orange trees. Anywhere that the climate is right. And that orange looked at him and says, well, I'm looking at you. And he said, that was a long time ago. But I'm looking at you and, and you look just like me. But origi- I'm going to use original orange said, well, not really. I don't look like you. You look like me. What? He said, from me came the first seeds that produced the next orange tree, that produced the next oranges, that produced seeds, that produced the next orange tree. Down through the generations, the seed that came from me has been reproducing oranges in my image. And they're all just like me. The orange tree said, that is amazing. I, I, didn't, I did not know this. Then he gets more revelation knowledge. Parable continues. Original orange says to current orange, you were not always an orange tree. I wasn't. That's my vision. We can put in there whatever we want, right? (laughs) No, you were originally a ragweed plant. See, I hate ragweed. (laughs) This time of year causes me great discomfort. 
Okay? There's nothing. Can any good come from a ragweed plant? I don't think so. Anyway. So he says, now you originally, when you were, you, you don't know this because you're orange today, but you, when you were first appeared on planet Earth, you weren't even an orange tree. You were a ragweed. Ew, that didn't even sound good. No, and it wasn't. He says, what had to happen, you had to die completely. And then I raised you to new life, not as a ragweed plant anymore. I recreated you in my image. And now you are just like me. Producing the same fruit I produce. So I was meditating on this little parable. It's not done yet. I'm just meditating. I'm going, why does the orange tree not have fights of faith to produce oranges? I don't think the orange tree stands there at night when nobody's listening going, I w- the tree, I will produce oranges. As he is. <laughs> So am I in, in this world. I, I, I will be sweet. I will be sweet. I will be sweet and juicy. doesn't do that, does it? So, again, one of the prophecies of the, says that when the miracles are flowing from your fingers like water, I don't think that's exactly how it's worded, but when they're very plentiful, you're going to be surprised at how easy it is. I remember it said, it'll be as natural to you as taking your next breath of air, and it will be as natural to you as taking your next drink of water. See, because it's just who you are. So I was going, well, Lord, how does that apply to us? I mean, we don't seem to produce uh, with that same ease. That the orange tree produces with. What what is the difference between the the orange tree and us bearing the same have, bearing the same fruit as the you know we know we're talking about the seed Jesus Christ right the works that I do shall you do also same thing and he told me real quick he said the orange has no will the orange tree has no self identification different from me that has to die the orange tree has nothing to mortify it's not involved in any sin that's the difference and that's why I gave you the blueprint for 2020 because the truth of it is see this whole lesson is as we behold in a glass the mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed. We are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we have to go through the metamorpho process that Alan mentioned this morning and I mentioned last week. And then for those that might not have heard it, I'm going to do it again because I did a research on it. It's horrible what happens in the cocoon. It's horrible. From the from the caterpillar standpoint, 
it doesn't even know why it does it, but it makes this cocoon that it's, once that thing is finished, understand it's in total darkness. There is no light at all. Anyone feel worse when you started praying? <laughs> Where are you, God? It got dark. <laughs> got dark. Then, and what's interesting, from within the caterpillar itself comes these enzymes that starts dissolving everything that it is. Help me. <laughs> I, can, I can hear your caterpillar flesh. Help me. Somebody stop this. Somebody come and get me out of prayer. I mean, out of this cocoon. I'm dying in here. Uh That's the sound of the caterpillar and it's the sound of your flesh. Hudson Taylor, most of you have probably heard of Hudson Taylor. He was a great missionary to China. I heard a quote from him I'd never heard before. I didn't know he said it. He said, I have noticed every time that it's time to pray, my Venetian blinds need adjusting. (laughs) It's not just us. (laughs) The flesh goes, oh no, that's important. My flesh will even do yard work. Now Sue seems to like it, but I do not like yard work. But I've had times my... Time to go to prayer. And my flesh goes, the lawn needs mowing. Now for my flesh to say that? Why? It knows that you're taking it to the cocoon. It knows you're taking it to a place where it's going to die and lose its control and lose its hold over you. Thank God for Pastor Dave. Teaching us how to turn ourselves over to the Holy Spirit for even the things that we don't know, to, what to even pray as we ought. You know, we can, we all know some of our strong, well, sometimes we don't even know that. We, you know, you pray to a certain extent and you go, you see it finally yourself and you go, go to Red, my friend, you know, I saw a stronghold. I said, Red, I'm not like that, am I? And Red goes, well, we, we all kind of knew it all along, Gary. <laughs> You're the only one that didn't know it. I'm glad you know it now. Holy Spirit, when we don't even know what to pray, we don't know what's wrong with us. Why do we keep doing that? What is it about us that keeps doing that thing that we don't want to do? Yes, sir. Used to, I would have had these all lined up the best I knew how and printed and all of that. Well, those days apparently are over. <laughs> At least for a season anyway. Because what he's reminding me of now, you know that verse, eight Romans 8, 26, I believe, where the Holy Spirit also, also, Helps our infirmities. What's, what does it mean also? What first helps it? The new nature. The new nature alone will cleanse a lot. You know that, I talk about the first two weeks when I got saved and, I mean, there was a new, there was a new sheriff in town. And pornography had to go, cussing had to go, alcohol had to go on and on and on, all, love of, you know, chasing money as my God, all of that had to go. So the new nature alone was, Enough to really help with all those infirmities. But see, then there's the stuff that you don't even know why you do why what you do. Well, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit also, also along with the new nature, He helps with those infirmities. And 
He took me back to Joshua. And again, I, I'm not able to take you there, but you just have you go find it for yourself. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> you outfit. A little homework would probably be good for you. Find it your own self. It's in the book of Joshua. I'll help you that much. But in the book of Joshua, they were doing a battle. And there were several great battles in there and types and shadows for us. You know, there was the one where they had to hold up Moses. Well, that's before that. But there was a battle before that where they had to hold up Moses' arms. And when his arms was up, they would prevail. If their arms came down, they would lose. And so they had to keep that. Well, that's, there's a great teaching for the church. But this one, perfect type and shadow of the Holy Spirit also helping our infirmities. Because Joshua... They're doing pretty good. They've got the enemy on the run, all right. And they're putting them, they're putting them to death. Now our battle's not with flesh and blood. Don't go out here and stab nobody. <laughs> okay. But the type and shadow, principalities and powers. They were, Israel was doing pretty good, but God wanted to get in on it. So they were putting to death the enemy, all right. But God also helped by, He started throwing from heaven hundred pound hailstones. Against the enemy. Can you imagine you're out there fighting? And you're doing pretty good. The enemy's backing up. You're winning. But all of a sudden God says, I want to help too. I want to also help. And you're fighting. And all of a sudden, bam. And a hundred pound hailstone takes out that many of the enemy. And then zabam. And then zabam. And it says, there were more died from the hailstones than died by the sword. You turn the Holy Ghost loose and God's going to unleash hundred pound hailstones on your infirmities. I'm going to pulverize them, get rid of them. Then you can walk free of them. Makes me want to go pray in tongues. More died from God's help than died even from the sword. And they were already winning. With God's help, you win quicker. Boy. And see, that brings us right back around to the blueprint. Why all this praying in tongues? Why and why all this fellowship? And why all this worship? And why pushing away from the table? Not during conference week. And I declare this to be conference week right now. (laughs) Dave always said there is no fasting during conference week, remember? When you're praying in other tongues, see? That's why God gave us this blueprint. When we turn loose the Holy Ghost through making the prayers that we don't even know what to pray, it's like he's, that flesh, he's dropping hundred pound hailstones on that thing. And stuff that's held you back for years. All of a sudden you're free. And all of a sudden when you pray, things happen. I thank God for Pastor Dave Roberson. There's nowhere else on earth that I can think of where we could go, where we could have been taught how to get on this path. Because right now, there's nowhere on planet earth again where we can take the victorious of the world, the Tommy Perez's. See, I'm always talking with B, and she never yells at me or nothing. But we lost her. We loved her sister Helena. We all loved Helena. If you can't, if you don't love Helena, you need to get saved. I mean, you know, she's just wonderful. She used to come to the Bible study at our house all those years ago. And it's not just her. We lost Mary Corbett, and we've lost uh, so many. 
You know, and we, see, we all prayed. Nobody was half praying. Like Dave says, we were, we each and every one of us, we were milking every cell in our body for faith, you know. But we lost Helena. We lost Mary and we've lost others. Bless God, the day is coming on this path. We'll stop losing them. So here's what I see. I'm not a prophet, but I'm so encouraged. If let's, let's okay, God started that verse off with an if. I'm going to start this off with an if. If God is not a liar, He heard that prayer of this nation Saturday. He watched as all of these people, and, and it was watched by it was simulcast. Tens of millions around the world. It's not just for America. God wants this planet. Okay? Tens of millions are humbling themselves, praying. And over and over again, I heard these, it's like they've been attending our services or something. I heard them saying things like, God, we deserve, we, uh, we don't deserve grace. We don't deserve mercy, but we're asking for it anyway. And they go right here to this verse. Well, I'm saying if God's not a liar, He heard from heaven. And He's going to watch. And if we really do humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, this land will be healed. Now, oh yes, sir. See, I started to say earlier, God knows, Jesus knows what He's doing when He tells us to pray for our enemies. He, and I'm not going to mention my name because you might like them. I'll pray for you if you do, but. In the natural, Gary wouldn't walk across the street to spit on these politicians that they were on fire. And so I, I make, you know, a nice statement like that. And he says, good, I want you to pray for them by name every day. No. Nope. <laughs> I want you to. No. Nope. I want you to. Okay. You know I don't want to. So every day, by name, there's like seven of them. I'm not going to tell you the names. You probably already know the names. High up in the land. I didn't know what to say. Oh, I, at first I was going, shall I call down fire? <laughs> like, you know not what spirit you're of. What, is that what I said? Oh, you said bless them. Oh, yeah. Pray for them. So, how do you do that, see? So, the first one. God, I, I didn't really know how to... I mean, it's scary, the vitriol. I'm supposed to be love? I said, well, I guess I could pray that you could open the eyes of her un- their understanding. You could open the eyes of their understanding because the God of this world has definitely blinded their eyes. So, Father, I'm asking that you... It's, oh, and I think I, I think I said something like, I bind you, God of this world. You take your hands off of... Called her by name. Call them by name. There's some hymns too in there. By name, he has me do this. Oh, I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. But I did it. Takes about 15, 20 minutes, the list that he gave me. Then I did it again the next day. Then I did it again the next day. And even about there, I started to notice, just that quick, a little change in my heart. And I'm going, God, they have to be so deceived. 
I think they're like I think they're like Saul was. They think they're doing you a service. Saul thought he was before he got saved. I said, God, I don't care. So then I start praying other things like, okay, God, give that woman a Damascus Road experience. Knock her off her high horse, God. <laughs> send a light, send a sound, blast her, Lord. But get her attention. Maybe if she saw she's really on the road. I don't think she's purposely opposing you, but she is. And the others that I shall remain nameless. Same thing. Has me pray like that. And I can feel my heart changing. Because I know we say this. Jesus died for her. Same as he died for me. Jesus died for each and every one of them. The same as... Now, don't get me wrong. If they don't... I'm praying they repent. I'm praying their eyes be open. I'm praying those kind of things. But I'm also praying that if they do not, they be rooted out of our government. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people rejoice when the righteous bear rule. I'm going to close with this. Um, I don't know if he's going to let me... Gary wants to say a lot of things about the election coming up. And uh, I have to be real careful not to let Gary do that. But I'm going to mention this I, because it, I saw the picture. The picture I saw, just so you'll know, is Adam standing by Eve while the serpent's talking to her and Adam keeping his mouth shut. Because Adam's assignment was to keep, not just tend, keep the garden. That word keep... Every Hebrew word has a picture with it. That one is a hedge of thorns. So what's Adam's job? Keep this hedge of thorns. Keep the garden surrounded. Keep the intruders. Keep the evil out. Well, there's an intruder that came in, the serpent that's talking to his wife, and it says Adam was with her. Now, I, I, I can't call it Adam's first sin because that's not how the Bible defines it. I'm going to call it Adam's first mistake. Why in the world did he not speak up to that serpent and command it out of the garden? He's supposed to keep the garden. The mistake was silence. Then, even after that, when he watched his wife eat of the fruit, and she turns around and offers it to him. See, God doesn't say to Adam, because you listen to the devil. That's what Eve did. God says to Adam, because you hearken to the voice of your wife. I had to go back and read it again. Because you hearken to the voice. She wanted him to eat it. Would to God he would have. Because he doesn't say a word. He just ate it. What if he had done what Jesus did when he was tempted by the devil? It is written. We may eat of every the fruit of every tree of this garden, but of that tree we shall not eat or we shall surely die. No, I will not do it. And we would not be in the predicament we're in. Silence brought corruption into this world. And the reason I'm saying that, many Christians use a cop-out, I don't vote. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I need... I need... Uh, my, I need five people right over here on this side. 
One, two, three, four, five. Now I need five over on this side. Come on, you knew it was coming. Come on. <laughs> I need five over here. See, and I didn't tell them ahead of time which side is Christian and which side is atheist. <laughs> Do we have five on each side? Now come in closer where the camera can see you. Okay? Come in closer. It's election time. We got, we got the Christians on this side. <laughs> but on this side, we have the agnostics and the atheists that don't care anything. Anything about, I'm seeing if I get any reaction here. <laughs> and it's election day. Now these people are not going to vote the way God would want people to vote. Okay? These people, they've done their homework. They know how to vote. Let's just take one issue, just one, pro-life. This side we're going to vote, we're going to vote for those that are going to keep abortion in. This side is going to vote in a way that gets abortion out. Got it? Five and five. So right now nobody wins, right? Except these first two decide, oh, no, we're just, we're just not going to vote. It doesn't matter whether we vote. We don't think it's Christian to vote. We don't think, no, no, there's a separation. We shouldn't vote. And by default, default, this is what's destroyed our country up to this point. And I'm telling you, the days of silence are over. The church is going to take back the schools. The church is going to take back the universities. The church is going to take back this nation. And then we're going to take the world. But the days of silence are over. And when you say, I didn't vote, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Your silence allowed evil to prevail. Thank you very much. Give him a hand. Is that a good illustration? That's a good... Vote! God, how many people on this planet would die so their children would have the right that you already have? I just saw it again the other day. 50 million Americans have died in war so you have the right to vote. Don't you stay home. Don't you stay home. You vote. Vote the way God wants it. It's not a party. It's not a man... Vote righteousness. Vote for life. Vote for prayer. Vote for all of the things that you know are right. You know on the inside. To stay home and not vote is a vote. And it allows the enemy to win just like Adam did in the garden. And how Jesus won, he did not stay silent. He said what God said. And the second Adam won. The last Adam won where the first Adam failed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I think I've done my peace now. I feel okay now. I'm so, I feel like crying, but I'm so excited. I have hope again. And it's not that I didn't have any at all, but I'm telling you something. I'm going to recommend it again to you. And again, I don't, I don't know all of those people. I don't know their doctrine. I don't know the jot and tittle, but I am, I am joined with them that we, we need, this nation needs to repent. Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways. And I believe He will hear from heaven. I believe He will forgive us. And I believe He will heal this land. So that our great-grandchildren will have an America 
that God founded to send this gospel around the world. That was the Mayflower Compact. That was the, the promise at Jamestown. And that's what America is going to be. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Listen. And I'm talking directly to you. I, I know most of the people here. I don't know you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. How much? God has done it all. Jesus has come and died in your place. He took your sin upon Himself, the innocent for the guilty. If you'll receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you don't have to perish with the world. Say, well, how much time do I have? You really only have one heartbeat. I had a, I had a blowout on the way to church this morning. That's why I was a little late getting here. Well, thank God I didn't have a car wreck, but I could have. Thank God if I'd have had it, I'd gone straight to heaven. My question is, what about you? And it's not because I'm good, it's because He's good. Right now, everybody just say this after me. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you've been raised from the dead. Forgive me all of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord forever. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. And listen, if, you, if you've been saved but you've backslid and you're back in the world and you don't know whether He'll take you back, listen. He says, return unto me, O backslider. Just acknowledge your sin. Just tell it like it is. Tell the truth. Confess it to me. And he says, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. And I will throw all of your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Let's do another prayer. This is really the prayer I prayed back in uh, 4th of July 1980. When I, I didn't know if God would take me back or not. Can you tell he did? I was so backslid. I was so backslid. I was so backslid. Pray that if you're backslidden, you want to come back to God. This is your day of return right here. This is your day to return. So just everybody say it with me. It won't hurt you to say, Father, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Forgive me of all my sin. Wash me fresh in the blood of the Lamb. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Restore a conscience within me. Where I'm quick to know right from wrong. Jesus, come into my heart in fullness. I'll serve you all the days of my life. I love you, Lord. Receive me back as your son. Receive me back as your daughter. When I prayed that, I, I wasn't, I didn't know for sure if he will. I said, if you'll take me back. I said, if you'll take me back. You'll never have to come looking for me again, and he hasn't. He'll take you back. Take you back. Father, I just pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone listening, everyone watching. Father, fill us all afresh with your Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about be being filled, Lord. 
refill us, Lord, fill us to overflowing where our, not only our cup overflows everywhere we go with your presence, but out of our bellies flow those rivers of living water. Rivers, Lord. Where it's not just theory, but we walk literally with you where your literal presence goes with us so that when we do pray for the sick, they're healed. When we cast out devils, they go. When we pray for the lost, they get saved, Father. And that signs and wonders, Father, stretch forth thine hand. Do signs and wonders by the name of your holy child, Jesus, so that the world may know that you have sent him into our hearts and then sent us to deliver him to this world. Fill us again, O oh Lord. Fill us again.